Determination is a huge part of success though. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. And I mean, like I said, I worked every day for five years without a break. You, you just do that. It's what you do. I don't know that there's a blueprint for success because so many companies don't succeed. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and our next guest, Selma Sayan, has a classic entrepreneurship story demonstrating the heights to which passion, determination, and hard work can take anyone. What started as a simple thank you gesture to customers of her day job grew into fan-favorite treats sold at major theme parks, grocery stores, coffee shops, high-end convenience stores, and gourmet shops all over the United States. I'm excited to share this interview with you today, and I hope you enjoy hearing Selma's story as much as I did. Thank you for joining me today, Selma. I'm so excited to have the chance to talk to you. You've got a great entrepreneurial story, and I know our listeners are really going to enjoy it. So thank you for taking the time today. Well, certainly. I'm happy to be here. So you started Selma's Cookies in 1990 from the bottom up with almost nothing. It's now a multi-million dollar brand. To what do you attribute your success? And tell us sort of how you got there and what was your secret sauce for Selma's cookies? It's the cookies. They're really, really good. Now, (laughs) I know there's a lot of other good cookies out there, but these cookies are outstanding. The taste is incredible. And I never expected to be in the cookie business, but I hit upon a recipe for one cookie and everybody loved it. And long, long time ago, I produced television news and I got bored. And my brother took me out on his boat one day and he was in sales and I was working the 11 o'clock newscast. And I was like, you know what? There's something wrong with this picture. I'm 30, you're 25, you have a boat and I don't. (laughs) And he said, oh, go into sales. You'll be able to do it. It should be fine. And I was like, oh, that was a big deal for me to leave television news. I mean, I'd been doing it for seven or eight years. That's what I went to college for. I had no background in sales, but I figured I could learn. And I quit my job, and I went and sold radio advertising, which is a very difficult sell, but it was in my field. So, you know, TV, radio, it's something I knew. And they taught me how to sell. And as they thank you for my customers, because I had left my job and was now on a commission-only job, and, you know, I had a mortgage and a car payment. I was 30 years old, older than most radio reps. I gave people cookies to thank them for their business. That's all it was. And, you know, when I was young, my mother used to give people cookies in a little coffee can to thank them for whatever it is they had done. And I was like, okay, this is a nice gesture. So I made these cookies, this one cookie that I had hit upon when I was working in TV news. And I gave them out. They were white chocolate chip cookies. And I made them large because I didn't want to bake as many. And then what do you think happened next? People wanted to buy the cookies, and here I am baking every night in order to keep up with the cookie demand for my customers. That's great. I love it. So this was not your mom's cookie recipe. It was one that you found along the way? I figured out. Well, my dad was a chemist, and my mother loved to bake. So I feel like I have some genes there. Right, right. Something came through. 
But anyway, so I'm baking these cookies and giving them to my radio customers. And long story short, one of my customers was opening a bakery in Universal Studios in Florida when they opened in May of 1990. And they wanted to sell the cookies in that bakery. And I was like, well, that's a pretty big deal. So for that, I'll quit my job in radio, even though I had already doubled my income, tripled my income, and I, was, I had great sales skills by now. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. It wasn't so hard to quit that job. The real one to quit was the TV news job. So to leave the radio job, and my boss told me, you can come back. If it doesn't work out, we'll keep your desk open. So, you know, I mean, it was like, okay, I'm going to try this. That's great. I love that. Did you have did you have a lot of help from family and mentors and others along the way? Yes, I did. In the beginning, I solicited all of my friends and and I you know, when I was giving the cookies out in radio, I was actually marketing the product, not even knowing that I was marketing the product because people were testing it and they started talking about it. And so in the beginning, I had an advisory board. I had friends who invested in the company. I mean, I started out with a $10,000 investment from friends and family and we met monthly and, you know, it was great. They all volunteered to help me and we made some decisions as we went along and good things came out of those meetings. It was very nice. And I, I always served that. food <laughs> and lunch. Where did you get the idea to do an advisory board? Did, was that just something you thought of? Because that's something that we recommend to a lot of startups, to our students. It's, you know, it can be really helpful, but a lot of entrepreneurs don't want to do that. They don't want to take Oh, I thought it was great. I wanted to get as many opinions as possible because I didn't really know much about business. I mean, my neighbor at the time was a bookkeeper and she kept the books for me, but I had, I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't know what a general ledger was. I just didn't know, but I had to learn it. What a great story. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, so many of our students and the listeners are trying to figure out how to launch a company. And I love your model because you developed what we call a minimum viable product. You've got a product out there, although yours was a hit right from the beginning. And you got a lot of customer feedback before you started to invest a lot of your own resources. So it's a great story. And so you moved from your original passion of being a professional broadcaster into sales and then into entrepreneurship. So I'm assuming sales has been a big part of your success. And, and it looks like you've had some great wins in sales. How important is being able to sell to an entrepreneur? And what kind of advice would you have for entrepreneurs in that regard, in terms of getting their experience and training in sales? Well, I think selling is critical to the success of any business. You have to sell your product. You can always figure out ways to make it, but first you sell it. And it's critical because you, you have no business if nobody buys what you're trying to, to sell. I mean, you have to sell your product. Right. That's first and foremost. But you can't just be able to sell your product. There's two different really strong parts of a personality that it takes to run a business. One is to be able to sell your product. And the other is to be able to be efficient in running a business. You can't be too generous to, you can't go overboard. I mean, you have to be firm and with your employees, they can't walk all over you, which they tend to do with some salespeople. I mean, you have to be careful. 
I hope I'm explaining that correctly. Yeah, but. it makes a lot of sense because there, sales is, is sort of is one part of what you have to do, but you also have yeah. to run a business. And a lot, of, right. a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with being able to do both. Right. And a lot of, I mean, and for example, I had my brother run my company when I tried to retire two years, two and a half years ago, and he couldn't do it. He was too nice. He was, he's a master salesman. He was too nice, not too nice, but people walked all over him. He couldn't figure out how to do a budget. I mean, it was kind of a mess. And not, it's not for everybody. You have to be able to do both. And you just learn it. I mean, I was so passionate about the starting the business and keeping it going that I learned it. And I learned a lot of lessons along the way. There's a great book, you may have run across it. Actually, he's written a couple of books by Michael Gerber called The E-Myth. And he talks about how a lot of entrepreneurs start a company because they're passionate about, in your case, baking cookies, in other case, maybe being a photographer, whatever it happens to be. But the reality is you have to work on your business, not just in your business. And that means all of these things like managing people and managing budgets right. and yes and you have to learn all of those things and i haven't baked for years i mean and really i never expected to be in the cookie business i wasn't really a passionate baker i mean i like to bake but you know i like to play tennis too right. so <laughs> it was it's just literally things fell into place you know the door opens and you have to go in the room it's you know opportunity knocks you open the door and right. this is what would happen to me Right. I love it. So you've got, you got a really big head start when you got a major theme park early in the life yes. of your company. And then since that time, you've sold to other theme parks, coffee shops, grocery stores, gourmet shops all over the country. Can you talk to us about how you got that first big customer and then yes. the impact that that had on your business? Yes. When I sold radio advertising, one of the things that I learned, and this applies to any sales, is go after the big customers because they're just as hard to get as the small customers. They don't complain like smaller customers do. You know, smallest customer, biggest headache, it's true. And they pay their bills on time. So I introduced, you know, when Universal first opened in May of 1990, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but the rides didn't work. It was kind of a mess. And people didn't go to the parks like they expected. So my accountant said to me, why don't you try this other theme park? And I was like, why not? Let's give it a go. And so I took cookies there. And again, the cookies sell themselves. They're incredible. They're delicious. But they didn't just buy the cookies. They bought me because I was determined to offer great customer service. I backed up the product. If anything went wrong, I was there to fix it. So it's a combination of things that you do. You know, you have to have outstanding customer service as well as an outstanding product. And once I started servicing this customer, others fell into place. You know, when you can have those kind of bragging rights, it opens a lot of doors. Right, right. Now, one of the big challenges with a big customer can be production and meeting demand. Did you ever have any issues with that? 
No, because we grew with at our own pace with the customer. I mean, I first started, I was baking out of a little bakery in Winter Park called the Cookie Floors. They let me lease their building from five in the evening to five in the morning, and they worked during the day. And so I came over at night and did all my baking, got it ready, and then came back the next day. I mean, every day I went to Costco to buy ingredients and just baked everything fresh as I went along. But so you learn. I mean, I hired people, a couple of people, and then we moved into another building a little bit larger. And we did whatever it took to get the orders done. If we were there all night, we were there all night. We tried to space it out so that, you know, we could do it efficiently, but we did what we had to do. We never said, no, I can't do that. No, we can't give you that. You just don't do that. And, you know, I never said, oh, sorry, I have to watch a football game. I mean, you don't do any of that. I didn't take a day off for the first five years. I worked every day, period, because these theme parks are open every day. Right, right. You know, I grew up in a family business. My mom had a business. She was a florist. And I know uh-huh. that feeling. I mean, when, when you have to produce, you have to produce. And yeah. you know, in our business, it was funeral flowers that were really the bread and butter, so to speak, of of our revenue. So when somebody in this small town that we were in would pass away, we knew that all of us had to work. And if if we were on vacation, we often had to come home. Come home. That's how it is. Yeah. 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 So that's the way it worked. And so you grew your business sort of over time and evolved it. And very slowly and, you know, very slowly. Yeah. And I tried a whole bunch of different things that didn't work at all. But you try. And if you fail, you get back up. I mean, it's just what you do. Right. So Selma's Cookies, one of the things I love about your stories is Selma's Cookies has been in operation for over 30 years. So that's really amazing. And you've plowed through recession, economic downturns, a lot of unforeseen circumstances. Of course, we're right now in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is a real challenge for a lot of businesses. So a big theme of this podcast has been resiliency. You know, and and so one of the questions I like to ask our guests is is whether or not they have any stories of a of failure, adversity, things in their in their experience that they've been ever overcome, and how they kind of kept going through all of that. Oh, okay. Well, I have a ton because I made a ton of mistakes. (laughs) Believe me, you have to be able to make mistakes to learn. Back in the, let's see, in the late 90s, I decided that, you know, there's not going to be enough wholesale customers out there to keep going in the next 10 years. So I need to build retail stores and sell product and, and create some more demand that way. So I didn't think through correctly. You know, it's really expensive to build retail stores. It's quite a challenge. And so I put in retail stores. I had one in Bethesda, Maryland, and one in Westbury, New York. And boy, what a challenge that was trying to get there, (laughs) trying to control them. And it was a mess. It was a mess. We were way too spread out. And I realized after that, and it was expensive mess, I borrowed money from the bank for the first time in the business, you know, to build these retail stores. And anyway, we shut them down. And I learned that 
don't do that, that I'm a wholesaler. So I refocused myself on my wholesale business and closed down our final retail store, which we had started in a mall. I mean, way back when, because the mall was my radio customer, we had started baking there. But 10 years later, we shut that store down as well and focused entirely on the wholesale business. And it was a very good learning experience because then I knew I'm not a retailer and I don't want to borrow money and I don't want to extend myself too much. Right. I love that. You know, a lot of times I tell my students that this kind of experience is some of the best, the cost associated with it is some of the best tuition you're going to pay. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I love your approach to look at failures and adversity and challenges as learning experiences. In during all those 30 years, did you ever feel like giving up or think of giving oh, up? Never. No, never. People love these cookies. That was a big deal for me. I had a product that people really liked. I had no reason to give up. Now, we had some dark days back in 2008 when the economy tanked and the stores, you know, Borders Bookstore was one of our big customers. They bought cookies, brownies, and Rice Krispie treats, and they closed all their stores. And I was like, oh, this is a problem. And But you know what? You just scale back. You can do it. It doesn't have to be all systems go all the time. You can scale back and hold on. And that's what you do. I knew the economy was going through a rough time and that we would recover. And really, my product is resilient to the economy as well, because you may not go out and buy an expensive new dress or expensive jewelry, but you can afford a cookie. And people did. So that was one of the good things. You know, it's interesting right now while we're all at home and looking for some treats, I actually got on your website and I thought, I'm going to order some of those cookies. They look wonderful. Oh, <laughs> so, we'll send you some. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, I think it, for anybody that's listening, it's. I agree with you. It's a nice little treat that people can afford. And I love yeah. that you have a passion for your product. I think that having a passion and feeling a mission associated with it can keep you going during those tough times. Yes. You seem to have. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. One of the things I didn't bring up is part, you know, doors open when you listen to your customers. Mm -hmm. And that's a major, major deal. One of my customers, a big one, asked me if I could make Rice Krispie treats. And this was in the mid 2000s. And I had never made them, but they had a need. And I said, sure, I'll give it a try. The person who was making them for them, was using the wrong cereal. They weren't using the real deal. So I said, okay, well, I know where Battle Creek, Michigan is, so I'll call them and get the real stuff. And I went home and I bought a box of cereal and I made them at home and they were fine. And I mean, it's easy. The recipe's on the box, right? (laughs) And (laughs) it's a major part of the business now. Those crispy rice treats, we call them. I mean, literally, huge part of the business. And it's all because my customer said, can you do this? And I didn't say that's outside of my scope. I said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You have to say yes, right? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, And you have to listen to what they want and not talk over them. You listen to what they need and then you figure out how to fill that need. Like that great saying that our moms always told us, you have two ears and one mouth, right? Listen more than you talk. Yeah, exactly. So Selma, you have a very optimistic outlook on life. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is entrepreneurial mindset. And 
although you didn't necessarily set out to be an entrepreneur, that's where life took you, I think, in large part because of the way you look at the world. You look for opportunities, you say yes, you dive in, you keep moving forward, you learn from your mistakes. Those are all a big part of, and you're resilient, those are all a big part of the entrepreneurial mindset. Do you think entrepreneurs are born or do you think that, that they're made? Or what are, what are your thoughts about this mindset? Well, I think the mindset can be developed. I'm not sure that some entrepreneurs are born, but I think it can be developed because I don't think I was born an entrepreneur. I never expected to be in business. I thought I was going to move through my life in TV news. And I think that it's developed because, you know, you have to set an example for your employees and you can't go into work gloom and doom. You know, you have to be optimistic. You have to say, we're going to make this happen. We're going to make this work. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is, well, if this doesn't work, we'll try plan B. And people would say to me, well, what's plan B? And I'd say, well, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out when we get to it or if we get there. So I think it can be developed, but I think that it's something that you develop over time while you're in the middle of it. So to some of our students and others who are headed down this path, I guess you'd probably say, you know, listen to the customer and yes. if you've got a good product, get out there and give it a try. Yeah, yes, absolutely. You can do anything you want. I'm living proof of that. You can do anything you want. You can start something from nothing. You can. And really, you know, I consider myself very lucky, but you create your own luck. You put yourself in the position when opportunity knocks, you answer the door. That's how you create your luck. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned that you really didn't know anything about business when you got started Selma's Cookies. Is, do you think now, looking back, that there's a formula or a blueprint for success? And, and if so, what do you think it is? I don't know that there's a blueprint for success. I think determination is a huge part of success though. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. And I mean, like I said, I worked every day for five years without a break. You, you just do that. It's what you do. I don't know that there's a blueprint for success because so many companies don't succeed. It's just, it just, they don't. I mean, I knew when I was getting into this that I would probably not succeed. I mean, but I was determined to succeed. So determination is a major part of it. And you know what? I think you just keep going. The lady who bought my company, we just talked yesterday. She's just as optimistic as I am. She's working now to get ready for, you know, strengthening up and rebuilding for when the economy reopens. We're very similar in those things. And this is what you have to have. You have to be willing to look past all the gloom and doom and say, okay, we're going to be fine. And we're going to do this. People are looking up to you to do that. Yeah. You would never want to work for somebody who would be like, oh, we could close tomorrow. You never want that. Right. I love that. So you mentioned that you just sold your company yeah. and that I find that very interesting. Uh, your timing was interesting, <laughs> but it sounds like you've been working toward this for a few yes. years. Could you talk us through um, sure. what that looked like, your exit strategy? Did that take sure. a while? And how did you finally decide on the right buyer? 
Well, I never intended to sell my company, the truth be told. My brother and his wife were going to run the company. That was, I was trying to pass it down and I don't have any kids. I was too busy working. But so my brother and his wife were, the arrangement was that they would move to Orlando and that they would grow the company and then one of their kids might want to take it over. I mean, that was the original plan. And this was in 2017 when I retired first time or maybe second by then, you know, I've been trying to stop working for a long time, but anyway, so major roadblock, they decided not to move to Orlando. Well, that's not going to work when you need to be running the company from here. They were, so my brother himself came to Orlando and he commuted back and forth. They live in California. And like I said, he's a master salesperson, but Things did not go well with running the company. He started, you know, he overpromised. You can't, you have to be able to produce what you promise. But, you know, a lot of salespeople don't see that. You have right. to be able to you not only sell your product, but you have to deliver it. So there were a lot of issues with that. And he made a lot of mistakes. There were a lot of problems. And finally, after a year and a half of this, I came back in in the start of 2019 and I said, okay, this is not going to work. I'm going to sell my business. And you're welcome to continue working for the business in sales. You know, I want you to continue, but I'm selling the business. So I hired a broker. And that was in the beginning of 2019. And he started soliciting the business. You know, it's very confidential when that's done. And several different people stepped up to the plate, but they were nothing like what I wanted. I mean, they were a lot of venture capitalists and investment people and things like that. Oh, yeah, we'll hire somebody to run it. Well, you don't know anything about running a cookie business. So I don't think, I'm, you know, that doesn't interest me at all. And then this company came in and it was another woman-owned business, which is important to my customers. So that was the first stumbling block has been fixed. And when, the more I talked to her, the more I realized we're very much alike. We have the same philosophy. And she's also a cookie business. And hers is a family-run business. She understands family issues like I had had when, you know, my brother had run the business. So, I mean, we made an agreement last summer, last fall. Actually, it was last fall, like in October. Yeah, October, November that she would buy the business. I mean, I thought it was, she was the perfect, I still do, she is the perfect buyer. And that was really important to me for my customer's sake, because remember, they'd been through all this turmoil with my brother running the business, and things were not going well for them. I mean, after all these years, there were times they didn't get the product they ordered. There were a lot of troubles. So I went back to them and I said, okay, I'm retiring again, but this time I found the right person. And they're very impressed with her as well. So, and her thing was, you know what? We're not going to change a thing. We're going to leave everything like it is at least for a year. And we're going to see, I'm going to learn the business and see how it runs. And that's what you really need to do instead of going in with these great ideas. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change that. And, you know, I'm going to go gung-ho. But she didn't do that. So I'm very, very comfortable with her running the business. That's a great story. What a, yeah. what a fabulous story, Selma. I mean, it's just a classic entrepreneurial success story, starting with $10,000 investment and some friends literally in the kitchen, yeah. and then being able to sell it 30 years later to someone yeah. 
yeah. um, in whom you have confidence that you now yeah. continue with your... And whoever would have thought I'd sell it and then the economy would shut down. I well, no I was going to say timing on this. <laughs> oh, my word. I'm the luckiest person alive. Yeah. I have no complaints about anything, believe me. I think you just... I, I, you just closed it in the last month, right? Yeah, we closed February 15th. Yeah, yeah, January 15th, February 15th was the final. My last day of work was March 13th. And, you know, Stephanie is fine. She's going to be fine. The company's going to survive just fine. But I'm glad I don't have to go through all those headaches that a lot of people are going through now. Yeah. And, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for it. But you know what? You, I told her yesterday, I'm like, Stephanie, it's going to make you stronger. And she agrees. It will make you stronger. Yeah. And that's the way you have to look at it. I agree. I agree. Well, what's next for Selma? You sound like you have a lot of energy. So I'm guessing that <laughs> you're not going to sit at home. <laughs> well, years ago, we had a bakery in Las Vegas to service the West Coast. And I learned to play poker when I was in Las Vegas. So I'm now taking lessons to become a tournament poker player. I love I've it. Tournaments for many years, but now I'm getting serious about it. I have a coach. I'm working hard at my game and I have a new goal. I want to have a nice big cash in a big poker tournament. That's exciting. Well, we're, we'll look forward to seeing that. Okay. <laughs> if there was, I love this conversation. I love the story. If there was one piece of advice that you could leave with our listeners today, what would it be? Listen to your customers and sell your product. You can make everything else fall into place, but listen to what your customers want and sell your product. They're equally important. Love it. Love it. Selma, thank you so much for telling us this great story of Selma's cookies today and for spending time with our listeners. I know everybody that listens to this is going to really take a lot from it. And again, you're the classic entrepreneurial story and congratulations. It's, it's been Thank an honor you. to talk to you. Thank where, you so much. Where can our listeners connect with you online? Is there, are you online if they would like to connect? With oh, you? Sure. My email is the easiest way. And my email is S laptop, like slaptop, you know, like it would stand for Selma laptop. So it's slaptop at selmas.com. And when Stephanie took over the business, she let me keep that email address. The main one goes to her now. So I use the slaptop. All right. Sounds great. Selma, thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, today. thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>